You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. People who are constantly negative, and they just, they just suck the life out of everyone that's around them. Now, um, we find a small group of people like that in the book of Haggai, the book we've been studying here for the last few weeks, people who made life miserable for everyone around them. Now, for the past few weeks, if you've been here, you know that we're, we're working through the book of Haggai, um, actually one of the shortest books in the Old Testament, two chapters, literally, it's two pages. You flip it, and um, it's, it's very short, um, but it's really uh, potent as far as what it says to us and about uh, our relationship with God and our response to him then uh, accordingly. What we've learned in Haggai is that because of sin and disobedience, <clears throat> God allowed the Israelites to be conquered, overrun by the Babylonians. Um, and the Babylonians did two things. One is that they, they carried off tens of thousands of people with means. So if you were a property owner, government leader, if you had a place in society, they were carried off and relocated into Babylon. Um, the other thing they did is that they took all the treasure out of the, um, the temple this is where God lived among the Israelites. So every, all the all artifacts are made of gold and silver. They took everything back to the treasuries in Babylon, and then they leveled the temple, destroyed it completely. There's nothing there um, except rubble. <clears throat> Fifty years later, change of king, actually a change of um, um, ownership, if you will. The Babylonians have been overrun by the, Assyri- uh, by the um, Syrians. And then... Um, the king there allowed, 50 years later, allowed the Israelites to go back and rebuild the temple. And the foundation is complete. In fact, in Ezra, not the, another book in the Old Testament that's around the, same, written around the same time frame, accounts for this. The finishing, where they finished the foundation of the rebuilding of the temple. And actually, we're going to read that um, here as, as part of it, just to give you a sense of what was happening um, within the context of our story in um, Haggai. So in Ezra 3, it says, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads, who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of the weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, here we're having a dedication ceremony, if you will. And it's not just people yelling and cheering because they're happy. We have people wailing and crying so loud because they're upset and sad and and just overwrought with emotion sad in emotion that it, they couldn't distinguish who was making noise and was heard far away. What an, I mean, just the scene that that's being, uh, that was going on there would have been interesting to see. Some of the people there were devastated because the new temple was nowhere near the size and the scope and just the grandeur of the previous one, and they were just devastated. The contrast between what exists now and what used to be was so significant that they were just overwhelmed with grief. Ever find yourself in a situation like that? Or either through your own actions or the actions of others, you find yourself at a place much less desirable than where you used to be. 
maybe the bottom fell out beneath you. And while you may have regained your balance, life isn't the same. And if so, you can probably identify with this instance of grief that we see there in, in Ezra. Now remember, for Ezra, it's been 50 years since the temple was destroyed. So we have to assume that they were old enough to remember that. So let's put them at the very youngest. Let's say they were 10. They were 10 years old when the temple was destroyed. It's now been 50 years. The people we're talking about here were in their 60s. So this is not a large group. This isn't you know, a, a very high percentage of the population, but it was an incredibly verbal and vocal group nonetheless. For 50 years, these people had been carrying the memory of the old temple, not just in their minds, but in their hearts as well. Now, normally we would understand this event as just that. It's an event, uh, one with a beginning and ending and everyone moved on. However, we find this incident in the book of Haggai. And that, uh, so after Ezra 3, we learned that the work stopped on the foundation, whether it's because of all the commotion. We also know that there was some political things going on. Essentially, work stopped for 18 years. 18 years, nothing happened, and then Haggai shows up. And he tells the people, listen, because you've stopped working on the temple, that's wrong. In fact, he actually calls it sin. You've disobeyed God. And he says, you need to restart the temple. And then the people actually, one of the few times we actually see them do this, they actually hear the prophet Haggai. And they said, this is from God, and we understand that, and we repent. And so they start working. Haggai is really unique in the old, from, compared to the other prophets. He actually gives days. And so they started the work on the 21st, 24th day of the sixth month. So he actually gives a date, actually, when all this was happened. So we know that then, when we come to that verse we're going to read here this morning, when we start chapter 2, it says uh, that we learn that it's almost four weeks later. So the construction's been going on for a month, and they've been working for this month, rebuilding the temple, where we pick up with our passage in Haggai. So on the 21st day of the seventh month, so again, we're about a month later, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah. Speak to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And speak to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea, and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for um, Haggai, the story um, that, that we read there in the account of, of just what's going on and the people dealing with life and all the circumstances of life and at the same time trying to be faithful to you. And uh, Lord, sometimes they just didn't get it right. So Lord, help us to pick some things out this morning that uh, we can use for our own lives. And Father, you would guide, uh, Lord, uh, not just my words, but Lord, that you would speak to each one as well, that they would hear what they need to hear. And uh, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's the question. If the account in Ezra 3 was an isolated incident 18 years ago, why does God, through Haggai, feel the need to address the matter again 18 years later? Now, remember we just read Haggai 2 came about, I mean, 18 years prior. 18 years. So that means that if people now who were 60 when the foundation was complete are now pushing 80 or in their 80s, those who left. So we had to consume there's even less people then. Now, so why is this a big deal? Why is this so significant that it becomes part of the narrative part of the story? I think why, so the question is, why does God through Haggai address the matter again? I think it's because what happened in Ezra 3 wasn't an isolated incident. I think that what happened then had been carrying through for the last 18 years. We can assume that the group of people that may have been small in number, but they were an incredibly influential group of people. And that their attitude was affecting the rest of the people doing the work. So their whining and complaining, like the kid in the video, was sucking the life out of the people. It was affecting morale. Oh, this temple is so small, and it's so plain. You know, this used to be so much bigger. You should have seen all the gold and all the things. And, I mean, it was just so amazing back then, and this is nothing. And it was very discouraging, those who were trying to do their best on this temple. With the resources they had, were trying to do their best. They were crippling the motivation of the others. Imagine there's people saying, you know what, you're right. It was so good. Why do we even bother? What's the use? What's the point? Ever been someone around that, like that? Then no matter what you do, it's not good enough? So the question for me is, why were the people feeling this way? After all these years, they've been carrying this for almost 70 years. Why were they like this? And a few thoughts as I reflected on this. One is I think they were living in the past. They were living in the past. One of my, um, I won't say all-time favorite movies, but one of my favorite movies is Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, some of you, rec- okay, so you know what I'm talking about here. Those of you who don't, it's an odd movie. I find it very funny. But anyway, so, so those of you who have seen it, you, you remember Cousin Rico. Oh, yeah. Okay, Cousin Rico. Cousin Rico, for those of you who aren't familiar with the movie, is very s- socially awkward, um, just especially around women, just some really uncomfortable conversations and situations. But in this one scene, he's sitting on the porch with Kip, his cousin, and they're reminiscing and talking. And then um, cousin Rico, Rico says this. He says, if coach would have put me in fourth quarter, we would have been state champions. No doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro in a heartbeat. 
I'd be making millions of dollars, living in a big old mansion somewhere, soaking it up in a hot tub. Remember that scene? So here's the thing that's really ironic. Although Cousin Rico was years past his playing days, he was still living in the past. He's an adult now, probably in his 30s, so probably, you know, 15 years past this playing days. The irony in all this, he said, if coach would have put me in. So he wasn't even good enough to play in a high school game. And he's reminiscing. He wasn't good enough to play in a high school game, let alone go pro. So he was living in a past that didn't even exist. He was stuck in his what might have been even though there was no possibility of it being. Now, while the Israelites weren't that bad, they too were stuck in the past. The memory of something that no longer existed was preferable to what they actually had in their present reality. But I think that's a tendency that exists in all of us. I think we all have that capacity. Now, we tend to glorify the past while only seeing the problems in the present. And we forget that the good old days had problems too. We just forget. So while not necessarily in the passage we just read in Hague, I think another reason why people become negative is because they're focusing on a lack of progress. Ever hear someone say, I am so over wearing these masks? <laughs> now, even if you've never said the words, I suspect each of us have felt the same sense of exasperation and have felt it more than once. How much longer is this going to last? I'm convinced that to not become trapped in a circle of negativity, sometimes we have to look to the future of what will be and not at the present of what is. I think another reason why people like the Israelites became negative is because they find themselves making comparisons. So even after almost 70 years, think about that almost their entire life, the Israelites continued to compare the way things are with the way things used to be. And the present couldn't measure up to what was happening in the past. Notice what God says in verse 8. He said, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. So God owns it all. God said, The gold is mine, the silver is mine. It's, It's mine anyways. And He doesn't need it. He already owns it. So the fact is, he wasn't impressed with the first temple. He's not disappointed with the second. God was saying, if I'm not upset about the temple, my temple, the one I'm supposed to be living in, you shouldn't be either. Now, I also think that sometimes we think our past disqualifies us before God. Because of our past sin or past mistakes, we think God is displeased with us and he sees us as diminished value. You know what the truth is? We weren't that impressive to begin with. God chose you for you. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need your resources. He just wants your heart. So the question is, how do we avoid being negative? How do we avoid becoming like some of these Israelites. I think one of the ways we can do that is be self-aware. Realizing a negative spirit is an internal problem. Now, the challenge with self-awareness is that we often get in our own way. 
a blind spot that keeps us from seeing something in ourselves that others see so very clearly. Here are um, five signs of a negative person. And unfortunately, we don't have this on a slide. Here's the five signs. Um, One of them is that they have a fatalistic view of the world. When something good happens, their response is something like, it won't last. Or they dwell on past failures, broken promises, and disappointments, and they feel certain that history will repeat itself now and in the future. They tend to be critical and judgmental about other people. Number four, they have trouble maintaining relationships because they fail to realize that most people don't like to hang out with negative people. A blind spot. Also, lastly, negative people rarely show gratitude. They they take things like job, home, health, and other things, they take them for granted and just assume that they should be there. Now, hear me. Being positive is not living in denial. The new temple was significantly smaller and less grand and less ornate than the previous one. There's no denying that. It was. And likewise, maybe life isn't going or hasn't gone the way you thought it should. But like the Israelites, God says to us, a new day is coming. And that leads to a second way to avoid having a negative spirit. Look for the positive and celebrate progress. Again, I'm not talking about denial. This isn't mind over matter. is isn't something you just will and it it happens. The Israelites had suffered greatly in the past, and they were struggling in the present as well. The smaller temple was a constant reminder of what was. Every day they walked by that foundation for 18 years reminded them of what used to be, of what it used to be. I love what God says, though, in verse 4. He says, be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you. We talked about that last week. I am with you. God was saying, I made a promise to be with you when you came out of Egypt that I would be with you. And it's been true to this day. And it will be true forever. I am with you. So he says it here, or he says it one time in chapter one, and he says it twice in this passage we looked at. I am with you. I am with you. What God is saying is in that, listen, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done yet. Don't think that this is the end of the book. It's not even the end of this chapter. I think the message is the same for us. God isn't finished with any of us. Until you draw your last breath, God is working in your life. And he promises to, be, to do so until that day arrives. Lastly, I think to avoid having a negative spirit, we need to live confidently knowing God has greater plans and a greater future for you. Sometimes we think God's will is this straight line. And I may have used this reference in the past, this idea, but that, that, that God's will is this path. And then if we veer off the path, that we're outside of God's will. And that um, not only that, because sometimes we can get back on the path again, but that if we veer off the path at any point in time, that we've become disqualified for God to work in us and to use us for his purposes. And sometimes we even think that because of our past, because we may have gotten off the path, that, we've, that God um, no longer accepts us and that we've kind of, again, have been disqualified. What if? What if God's will is not about the path? 
What if it's more about the destination? Now, again, I've used this idea of a GPS before. And we know that GPS is that we, you point in the course, you put in the destination, and there's un, innumerable options. Now, it'll probably give you two or three. You know, it's, it's a, which one you want to go, and you pick one and go. And, but what happens? You, so you go down the road, and it says turn left, and you'd go straight. What does it do? It recalculates. Well, it tells you tell to make a U-turn, or else it reshuffles. So now you're going to go down two more miles and do here. It gets you to the destination, doesn't it? It's not as if, all right, I made a mistake, it's all over. Might as well just go back home. Might as well give up. In this way, in this context, God is like a GPS. He doesn't give up. He'll get you to the path. Now, make no mistake, there are consequences to making wrong turns. If you don't listen to your GPS, typically, um, there's more time because we made a wrong turn. We've got to go further. It does that. We've used more gas. Very minor consequences, but there can be consequences nonetheless. And likewise, when we take a path that is contrary to God's intent, there are often consequences due to that. Many of us living with consequences of such decisions today, such actions. But that doesn't disqualify us from God's love. Nor does it mean that God doesn't have something of great significance for us in the future. Proverbs 21.1 is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he moves it wherever he wills. That tells me that when it talks about the heart of the king, it's human effort. The, the rivers of water are natural circumstances. What it tells me is that nothing, nothing can keep God from accomplishing his purposes in me. Make mistakes? Absolutely. I fall off the path? Absolutely. Does God just shut down the, 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 the GPS, just shut it all down and say, forget it, you're done? No. God says, come on, get back on. I'll recalculate. You may have to deal with some things, but come on, we're still going. We're still going. We're still going. I think that's what God is saying to us today as well. The Israelites were stuck in the past. They could never get beyond what used to be. And God says, listen, it's nothing like it, but that's not about the temple. It's about who's in the temple. It's about me. The temple was glorious, not because of the gold and not because of its size. The temple was glorious because I lived in it. And I'm going to live in this temple too. And it will be even greater than what it used to be because of my glory. And that's what God wants to say to each of us as well, is that it's God in us that makes it significant. It's not what we can do. It's not who we are. It's God in us that does it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, the Israelites really struggled um, with this idea, or at least the small contingent really struggled with this idea of letting go of the past and seeing the value of the present. And uh, Lord, we live in a season where there is just, this past year, uh, it's just been so full of emotion, of, uh, of just whether politics or racism or COVID. And uh, those are just to name a few, let alone some of the personal things we're dealing with, jobs and family relationships. And God, it can get so overwhelming. And we just wish for what it used to be when things were better and and what I'm hearing you say through Haggai is that uh, don't look back to look forward. That you're not done working in any of our lives 
that you continue to work and that what is up ahead may not be a big palace. It may not be a big temple full of gold, but you're going to be there with us. God, what more could we ask for? What more do we need than to just be with you? Father, may that be enough for all of us. May we find contentment. May we find peace in that reality. So Lord, my prayer is that for any who might be struggling with that this morning, that um, they would find peace and contentment and acceptance. Disappointed, sure. But you know what? Tomorrow's a new day and you will be with us. And because of that hope, because of that expectation, we can approach tomorrow with a new sense of energy, a new sense of hope, a new sense of optimism. Letting go what is behind and pressing on to what is new. Lord, whatever you might have for us in that way. So Lord, may we be a people that aren't stuck in the past. May we be a people that look ahead with hope. Not be it because of circumstances, not because of people who are in office, not because of people who um, are, are any other leaders, but because of you. May that be our source of hope and strength. In the name of Jesus, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you, um, again, with this last week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I don't know the level. I mean, some of us, I suspect, have been doing something every day, and that's been great. Some of us probably haven't thought about it since day one, and that's probably true, too. My challenge would be this week. Whatever your past has been, if you've been doing it well, finish strong. If you haven't been, engage this week. Do something this week to say, God, I want to turn the page. I don't want to be stuck in the past. I don't want to look back anymore. I want to look ahead to what you might have for me. And so maybe it's just reading a Proverbs a day. Maybe it's reading through the book of Acts or maybe reading through one of the gospel accounts. But do something this week that's tangible, that will take your mind off circumstances and focus on what God wants to do in your life as well. Um, Because he is faithful. He is so faithful. Amen? Amen? Try one more time. Amen? Amen. Thank you. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.